0: Let me pray, and then we'll look into God's Word this morning. God, we love you. Uh, We believe in the Holy Spirit. Your world uh, is full of uh, you. And uh, we believe that your Spirit is active inside each one of us. Uh, We love you. And uh, teach us whatever you want us to learn from your Word this morning. That's this in your name. Amen. So I've been talking about... uh, Revival, which again is—if you've been around, if you haven't been around—Christmas revival, and it's like it doesn't always go together. And I've been reading this book by this—it's a British pastor from the 1960s um, named Martin Lloyd Jones. And if you actually—you can actually hear his sermons online. He sounds like a British cartoon character. I mean, he sounds like uh, sounds like Clouseau from the Pink Panther when he preaches. So it's hard to kind of. Anyway, he—he's a great—he's—he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in a lot of his preaching and books. But he's the one who wrote this book on revival that kind of got me stirred about what does it mean to see God work? And this is one of the things he says, and I want I, I, we're going to leave the blank there for a second. But he says, the main trouble with the Christian church at this moment is that we fail too. And he's basically saying, this is the problem why we're not having revival. We fail too, and we might fill on the blanks with all kinds of things. Well, we, we fail to read our Bible enough, or we fail to go to church enough. We fail to evangelize others enough. And we, we, and I'm saying me, we tend to want to fill that with what I would call the shoulds. Well, we should do more of this. We should do more of that. And, uh, but what is the main trouble with the Christian church? And he would say that's the, what stands in, stands in the way of revival, revival being when God does a surprising thing that gets our attention, and it gets the attention of the world. So what is the main trouble? Because we tend to think, well, it's our main trouble. Of course, it's our sin. That's the right answer. our sin, whatever. But this is what he says. Go to the next slide. The main trouble with the Christian church at this moment is that we fail to realize that the living God is among us. That, that it's not focusing on things we're doing wrong. or anything. It's like, no, we, we fail to realize that God is among us. And Scripture tells us that the spirit of Jesus is in us. So he says the whole problem with the whole clogging point of revival is we don't understand we have the spirit of God in us individually and as a body we have the spirit of God in us. So he says that's if if we understood that we would things would something starts rolling God starts opening things up. So I was thinking about this and so if you could let me. Uh, play some music here for a second. So so anyway, go to the next slide. Some of you might know, and there's a reason I'm doing this, and again, keep in mind, the problem, that, the, the problem with the church is we don't understand that God is with us, all right? So uh, you might know this song from, like, uh, it's Hondel's, uh, George Hondel's Messiah. There's a bunch of songs, um, and it's very kind of uh, High-sounding, traditional-sounding. This is the Lord, uh, London Philharmonic Orchestra singing in this, of many songs. One of the songs that Handel wrote about. He wrote about the whole Messiah was his writing about the coming of Jesus. He finished just one of these incredible. He actually wrote it like he was stuck himself in a house for seven days and finished this one of these incre- incredible musical pieces of all time. But this is the passage he song he wrote about Isaiah nine, which is what we've been talking about lately, and so. Uh, I've sung in this ensemble thing before, so it's really kind of fancy. But here's the London Philharmonic playing this song. I'll just play part of it. So it's really kind of, you know, regal. I'm just going to play like a minute or so. I didn't sing that part. When the men join I, I can sing all these parts, I know all the parts. That's me, somewhere in there, not really. It's hard to sing, actually, (laughs) but it's fun. This is all from Isaiah chapter 9, 800 years before the birth of Jesus. This is the part we're talking about today. okay I'm stopping there now so it's very regal sounding I've sung this before in a large ensemble and it's like yes Jesus is going to be the wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace all these incredible titles that sound regal and powerful when you're singing them but I don't know that we always understand what that means all right So, last Sunday night, I was making uh, biscotti, all right? I can make biscotti, it's an easy recipe. And I was listening to, go to the next slide, I was listening to Veggie Tales Christmas, all right? If you know Veggie Tales, it's singing vegetables, if you know, it's kind of fun. And there's a whole album, and then this same song came up on Veggie Tales, all right? So Veggie Tales is like vegetables singing, but when this came on, this I didn't know it was on this album. I was playing, I was actually playing on this speaker. I think it was making cinnamon chip biscotti or whatever. And this same song came on, but it has just a different feel. And I'll just play part of it, and I'm going to make some comments about it. But it's the same thing. I'm not sure what vegetable this is singing. I'm not sure. So when this last part came on, you know, it, it's a different feel to the music. It doesn't fa- sound quite so regal or loud or, you know, there's no pomp and circumstance. But it kind of caught me. I actually stopped. I actually stopped the blender. Or not the blender, the mixer. I don't, You don't blend food. I, I, I know the difference, sorry. Right? But I stopped the mixer because when it came to, and his name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of... I actually started crying. And it wasn't Veggie Tales Nostalgia. It wasn't that, all right? It was the sense of, this makes Jesus sound more accessible to me, the way this song... I mean, yes, he has these big titles, but this is what the church needs. This is what the world needs. This is what all the broken people you know who are struggling with, you know, depression, loneliness, whatever, but it's what we need. We need the Wonderful Counselor. We need the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I thought, okay, this is like a child song, but it made me realize, okay, yeah, sometimes the big titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, sometimes that's what we we need to know that there's regal with, with Jesus, but sometimes it becomes so big and regal that it it loses its sense of connection. Like, I don't really relate to that. Just like some of you, you know, some people don't relate to you know, classical music. It's like, so when you sing it with the full orchestra with Handel, it's like I get it, but I don't really relate to that. But when I listen to this, I'm just like, okay, this is what I think I need. I need, and it's not so much the name, but it's what the name represents. Even in this passage, it's from Isaiah chapter nine. And let me just read it because then we're going to talk about what's going on here and what what tying it back to what Martin Lloyd Jones said was the greatest need of the church is the awareness of the presence of the of God in our lives, in us. All right. So this is Isaiah chapter nine. I read this uh, a few weeks ago, but just leave it. Yeah, yeah, go to that's good. So Isaiah chapter nine was written uh, 800 years before Jesus was born. It was the prophet Isaiah. It was in a dark time of Israel's history. Um, politically, socially, spiritually, they were going to be overtaken by the Assyrians soon. And previous to this passage, it talked about things like distar- distress, darkness, and despair in in their in their world. And we're not about ready to be taken over by the Assyrians, but I think distress, darkness, gloom, and despair kind of describes us, if we're honest. Us Christians, we can we can. It doesn't always describe it, but we, can, we, know that, we know that's part of the real part of life. But we also know people who are outside the church who, and they would actually tell us, some of them would say, yeah, I'm really, yeah, distress, gloom, despair. It's not my 24-7 reality, but yeah, I struggle with that. And it's just kind of, if you want to call it mental health, whatever, whatever terms we use, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. I mean, I, I teach some classes at IU, I do about every semester, and I've been surprised how many students in the last year or so, way more than before, tell me they've missed class, and, and I know some of these students are not lying, they miss class because the mental health issue, they tell me, send me emails about suicide issues, you know, that kind of thing, and it's like, okay, that's not just them, so we're not just talking about them, we're also talking about, I'm not saying that there's like deep depression among Christians, but I think sometimes we have, we have our own versions of distress, darkness, and despair, like, wow, well, life's not working out. And we, gotta, and we may not be in that heaviness, although we might, but we're trying to figure out how to navigate this life in Jesus thing. Christmas is like, ooh, you know, fun and all this, but then we also realize there's this sense of something's not right. I mean, even like the song that air, what was the first song, John? Where'd John go? What was the first song? It kind of had a... No, the second song. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. It's kind of in a minor key. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Well, the minor key kind of indicates we're expecting something great, but right now we're not feeling great. That's kind of... Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That's a minor key. That's what it says to us, right? So it's like, okay, the Jewish people... We're living in a minor key. Distress, gloom, despair. And the prophet starts to talk about, no, but there's, there's something coming. All right? Uh, and the announcement is Jesus. This is what he writes. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. He's talking about the geography of Israel and kind of where Jesus comes from. But there will be a time when the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, thats where Jesus was from, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Megalight is how it's often, tra- it can be translated, a megalight, like a flash, big. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For you will break the yoke of slavery, and you will lift the burdens from their shoulders, you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood bloodstained by war will all be burned. In other words, no more turmoil, no more a war. Then he says, for a child is born to us. This is verse 6. So he said there's gloom, dark despair. Boom. Nevertheless, even in light of gloom, darkness, despair, nevertheless, Something's going to change dramatically. Why? A child's been born to us. Child's been born to us. Son is given to us. This is where the song comes from. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, those four things. People often separate Wonderful and Counselor, but I think it's one kind of concept. It's a Wonderful Counselor. We'll talk about what that means here in a second. But... So this chapter starts with the term nevertheless, all right, gloom, despair, things aren't going well, boom, nevertheless, darkness is going to turn to light because the sun's going to be born. So I was, I was I talking with somebody this, this week, a friend of mine, and they were talking about some things going on in their lives or Maybe it was was in the culture and their family. I can't remember what it all was exactly. But this person then said at one point, "Ah, Oh, well. Oh, well. So you you think about things in your life that aren't going like you wish they were. You know, this son, this daughter, my mom, my dad, whatever, whatever, whatever. This lot meant the culture, the cop politics. And then we tend to, and I'm this way too, tend to be like, Oh, well. And oh well communicates almost a sense of resignation, a sense of we just have to accept the way things are, oh well. And I told this person when he said it because it kind of struck me because I think that way and I thought, you know what, as followers of Jesus, we are not oh well kind of people. We are nevertheless kind of people. So you might have the same issue, you know, you will have the same, you know, issues with your kids, with your parents, with your money, with your marriage, with... You don't like the way the culture's going. You don't like happening in the culture. You can either say, oh, well, just kind of accept it how it is. Navigate life. Or, same thing, culture, money, relationship strife, tension, politics. You can say, you know what, that's what it is. But nevertheless, Jesus can still show up. It's a huge difference of opinion, of, of mindset, I mean, of having an oh, well, oh, well. That's not going to change. Because, oh, well, it's kind of like, it's not going to change. Oh, well. Nevertheless is, God may be up to something. He could do it. He could change anything. The people who walk in darkness may see a great light. Revival might happen. Oh, well, that attitude will never lead us to the spiritual kind of revival we want for our individual lives, our families, our church, or our city. Having a mindset of, nevertheless, God may be on the move nevertheless, there's nothing that's happening that God cannot do. There's nothing that's going on that God cannot redeem. There's no addiction, issue, problem, tension that God can't bring light to and bring freedom and hold us to. Whether it's for you or a family member you love or a coworker, there's nothing that God can't do. And we we tend to kind of gravitate toward the, oh, well, because we don't always see the, the big things God does. But Isaiah is telling us, no, God, God's, he can, he's going to break the yoke of slavery over people. He's going to set people free. Darkness is going to be light. Despair, gloom, and distress, they will be past tense. And we don't know, God doesn't always really give us a calendar, it's going to happen, but we know that nevertheless, the promise of God is the Spirit of God will move and the Spirit of God can give freedom and will give freedom. All right, so so back to the title. Go to the titles again, and I'll tell you why this. Yeah, this is the title of the series: "Christmas of Revival." Kind of weird things to put together, but revival being a time where God gets the attention of His people by doing something surprising, and in doing so, He also gets the attention of the world who's looking on. Like, wow, God must be among them. There's a passage in Corinthians that says that. So, and I'm I'm just encouraging us to have a Maybe not a different take on Christmas, a different expectation. It just doesn't have to be, let's just do Christmas like everybody else does. We'll throw a Jesus star on there and call it Christian. But maybe have an expectation of what God can and will do. Not necessarily before December 25th, but when you look at the, the story of Christmas, it was an incredible invasion of the supernatural when you think about the Christmas story. So so here's the last number of weeks we've been home with this. So let me just tell you the, let me tell you the, go to the next slide. So the last four weeks, I got a slide for each, go to the next one now. So this, this is the, the last four, three weeks, I got a slide for each one of the thing I highlighted that week, but I'm trying to say this is kind of part of the whole nevertheless, let's see, how do we understand God with us. The first week, I said, you know, I didn't say it this way, but be open to God getting your attention in a stunning kind of way. People walking in darkness will see a great light. Be open, be open, and maybe even expect God to show you things. Sometimes the oh well mentality, we have no more expectations so we don't look for it. Be open that God might get your attention in a stunning kind of way. People walk in darkness, see great light. All right, the next week, The next one, be open to your sin being exposed. Don't be afraid. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Where does that come from at Christmas? Well, the Bible talks about the light. You know, I talked about the great light. And the great light, obviously, is Jesus. He talks about himself in the light. He actually says some people won't go into the light, even though the great light shows, won't go into the light because they, Jesus said, John chapter 3, because they're afraid their sins are going to be exposed. They're afraid. They're so. Even though the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, they avoid the light. They don't want to be exposed. And he's—I'm saying this not to them. I'm saying this to us, because the revival, when God does things, it starts with His people. The beginning point is the church, His people. So don't be afraid of being exposed by God. Don't be afraid. And you might say, well. It's easy, easy for you to say no. I, I, I get it. There's times where I'd rather not the light of Jesus show on me and show me that I've been either harsh with my wife or harsh with my kids or dishonest with somebody. I, I, I'd, I'd rather not know that. But if we're all honest, we do want to know that. I, I want to be free from those things. So don't fear the light. The people that walk in the darkness seeing a great light. Don't run away from the light. That's the beginning point of God starting something in you, beginning point of revival. Next one, then third week, was last week, I said, be open to the supernatural stuff that will happen when Jesus shows up, because Isaiah 9 talks about these supernatural happenings, but then last week I talked about, look at the Christmas story. You got angels, you got dreams, you have a virgin getting pregnant. So when Jesus showed up the first time, Christmas, all kinds of supernatural stuff happened. All kinds of stuff, so typically, and then at Pentecost, when Jesus showed up again in the Holy Spirit, supernatural stuff. the whole New Testament is full of supernatural stuff. So when Jesus shows up, supernatural stuff happens, my challenge was to you and to me, just be open that when he shows up some supernatural stuff, I had my weird meter up last week, if you know the, remember the weird meter, supernatural stuff is going to happen don't don't. Don't be close to it. There may be wacky stuff. Who knows? But I'm just saying, don't be closed. Don't, don't shut down. Oh, wait, that, that's not God. Just, I think the question I challenged asked ask last week is, at least stop and ask God, God, is that you? This, something just happened. And I had this thing. I talked about a chance meeting I had with, chance meeting with somebody I really didn't want to talk to last week in a restaurant. And I said, I mean, I said my first reaction was, oh really don't want to see this person. It will cost, cost me all kinds of energy if, if we engage. But then when I was driving home, I thought to myself, okay, God, was that you? I, my first reaction I wasn't proud of, my second reaction was more like, God, is that you? Because If it's you, because it was totally a chance meeting, like, in all of Bloomington, how did this happen? Right? So be open to the supernatural stuff that will happen when Jesus shows. So today, same part of the whole idea of revival, and I, this is the point I'm going to make today, and I'll just do it, and we'll... Be open to the reality that Jesus lives in you. I just said that, you know, Reverend Lloyd-Jones said that the problem with the church is we don't don't always believe that. We don't believe he's close to us. We don't think he's near us. Yeah, he's like God Almighty, and, you know, we hear Handel's Messiah playing in the background, but we we don't make it as personable. So we go back to the things from Isaiah 9-6. Go to the next slide. So this is what he is, and those, yes, of course, he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, but that becomes, the point of this passage wasn't to tell us the titles of Jesus, because what the titles do is they tell you what this person does, right? Wonderful counselor, it's not like, the word here isn't like therapist. Wonderful counselor is like an amazing, wise guide. Like, maybe I need from Jesus right now, maybe you need from Jesus, incredible wisdom for a situation you're facing. And if he's in you, and like Lloyd-Jones said, we have to understand that he's dwelling in us. If he's in you, he's able to give you wisdom. He even said, my sheep hear my voice. They know what I, they follow me. Jesus says that, but so a wonderful, Jesus being the wonderful counselor is like, You may need some incredible wisdom in your life right now. You may be facing a situation like, I I don't know whether to go left or right or backwards. I need wisdom. I need clear wisdom. I need wisdom that I know from God. That's what a wonderful counselor does, and he's in us so he can talk to us in that way, right? So that's what a wonderful counselor does. So, yeah, that's his title, but it's more about what he does and what he can do for his people. All right, mighty God. Well, (laughs) mighty God, you know, Lord Almighty, but... What does a mighty God do? A mighty God has power. I mean, even there was a time in the New Testament where Peter and John, this is after the resurrection, they're coming to the temple to pray, and there's a a lame man, I think, and he wanted money. And Peter said, I don't have any money. And you might remember the story, but what I do have, I give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus. All right? And it wasn't about the name. It was about the name of Jesus having power. says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. All right, Mighty God. So Peter and John weren't saying, in the name of Jesus. I'm just like, no, in the name of Jesus. In his, according to his power and what he does, get up and walk. So maybe you're, maybe you're facing a situation where you need to see deliverance in your own life from an issue you're stuck in an addiction, maybe there's somebody you love who's, that's them, and you're like, I, I need the mighty God. I need Jesus, this mighty God power to deliver. I need them to show up in that life, their life. And I'm not going to have an oh well mentality about it. I'm going to say nevertheless, Jesus, I believe you can do that. We can't manipulate God. He's not like a candy machine, but I believe you can do that. I can, you can change Things in me, we all probably have stories of who we used to be and now who we are because we've seen supernatural change in our character. Greater kindness, greater generosity. All right? So, about what he does, it's not about the name. He doesn't, not like Jesus has this mighty God title on the front of his jersey and we're supposed to be excited about that. No, but it's what he does he has power to change all right how about everlasting father what's an everlasting father to do well you, you think and, and the way you could translate this is a father for the ages like the father of all fathers what well, you think ideal world and it may be a stereotype but i think it's kind of how god wired things what what is a father supposed to do all right i'm a father i have a father you all have fathers right father doesn't i mean provision Protection, and even connection, right? That's what a really healthy father's going to do with his kids. Provide, protect, and connect, all right? Well, maybe that's what you need to understand in God now. Maybe you need to, to, to trust provision now. You need to trust that when Jesus said, even the birds have what they need, so don't worry. You will always have what you need, all right? Back to Psalm, you know, Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. Because if God is, if Jesus is the everlasting father and he's in you, that means he's like a father for the ages. He's able to give you the provision and the protection and the emotional connection, If I say that way that everybody, all of us long for in dads and all of us dads long to be doing. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to be reminded that I'm not on my own. I, I, have a, I have a father of the ages who provides for me even though I don't see how that's going to happen in the future, who protects me even though I feel like I'm under assault right now, and who will connect with me because he understands all that I'm feeling, all of my thoughts, and he, he gets me, but he's for me. All right, That's what you need. Now You don't need... Everlasting father on somebody's, you know, father, Jesus father of the year. You don't need that. You need to know what he does, right? And then the last one, maybe it's the most obvious of all, says he's the prince of peace. Well, it doesn't mean he's on a throne with a crown, and it says I'm the prince of peace. Well, so what, right? But what does the prince of peace do? Well, if he's the prince of peace, then he has the authority and the ability to disperse peace to people who need it. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. I'm going to give you peace, not like the world gives, but I'm going to give you a peace that so the world can never take away, regardless of your circumstances. So you don't have to sit in, oh, well, world. You can be in nevertheless, no matter what my circumstances are, Jesus says, I can give you peace. And again, you know people I know people who would say if peace was an option to open up in a present for Christmas, they would forego every single present and just to have that, right? Some of these feel the same way. I'd forego all of those if I just had that. Peace kind of in my soul. Not, I'm not talking about world peace. I'm talking about peace. And scripture calls it peace that transcends understanding. It passes all. It doesn't, we can't, We can't understand it because it comes from another world. It's deep in our souls. All right. So in this and again Lloyd Jones would say the scripture would agree that the problem of us the church and maybe the blocking point the clogging point for revival is we don't maybe really believe that Jesus will do those things for us. And we we like the titles, you know, sing the song, but if he's in me, he's able to do all these things. He's not, these aren't titles. These are things he does for his people. And if he's dwelling in us, it's a realization of those kind of things. So, last slide here. This, I, I always like to put things in a multiple choice kind of format. I'm a teacher at heart, right? All right? And there's not going to be any scantrons you fill out. No little dots you have to fill in. All right? Here's the question. If you could ask for and receive any of these gifts from Jesus' Christmas, what would you ask for? All right? And all four of these you'll see coincide with Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You may need a Wonderful Counselor. You may need clear, specific, and supernatural wisdom from Jesus about a situation. That may be what you need. But maybe the first thing is you need to ask for it. Scripture says you can ask for wisdom, and God's not going to find fault with you. Ask. Sometimes we don't even ask. Oh, you know, I don't know what to do. Well, have you asked Jesus for the wisdom on this? Well, no, not yet. Of course, I'm open to it. No, but ask. Maybe you need clear, specific supernatural wisdom. Wonderful counselor. Second thing, maybe you need power. He's the mighty God, right? You need power to deliver me from, name your addiction, name your obsession, name your issue. Or maybe it's about somebody you love who you realize, you know what, they're just not in a good place. Or maybe it's you. I'm just not in a good place. I can't seem to break this issue. Isaiah 9 says that when the sun unto us the son is born he comes to break the yoke of slavery on us all right maybe that's what you need all right third part everlasting father all right i said protection provision and connection maybe you need confidence that jesus is going to provide all you need maybe you need confidence that you're not on your lo- own as an orphan child and maybe you need to have confidence that jesus is a f- is a father for the ages and he will take care of all I need. Because he takes care of the birds. Look at the birds in the field, he said. They, they don't have to worry about, and trust that I will take care of you. Maybe that's your Christmas present you want to open. And the fourth one, Prince of Peace, and maybe you'd simply ask, for well, I, I want deep soul peace. And who knows what's causing those troubling waters that are keeping you from peace, but we all have those kind of things things we wake up at night thinking about, the thing we don't want to think about during the day because it upsets us too much, but peace is this sense of there's wholeness in your soul and there's weight in your soul, and it's, it's stable and full of life, regardless of situations outside of you. Now, you might say, can I say all of the above, all right? And that's, you know, but I'm just encouraging you to, th- what is it right now that you would say, I need, I need that part of Jesus in my life, and then pursue it. Ask him. Ask. Don't, don't just wish. Ask. All right. He he said he said he's in us. Um, Again, from what Lloyd Jones said in the sermon, which would have been 70, 60 years ago. Do you really believe that the Spirit of Jesus dwells in you? Is God really with us? Emmanuel, God, if, he, if he's with you and in you, asking these things of him, you're not, you're not a hassle to him. He loves to give gifts. So maybe the, the, the starting point, not maybe, the beginning point for the revival of God's people is we have to come to the point where we realize he does this for us. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And he does that by changing us, his people, Like I said, revival, best definition is something God does that gets attention of his people and then gets the attention of the world who are looking on and like, wow, you guys are different. There's something about you that's attractive because I see something in you that doesn't fit human categories, right? Because we have peace, we have confidence, we have trust, there's something about us that is appealing to people, Not, and the appeal is not how we vote, The appeal is not our moral standard, so to speak. The appeal to people is not, wow, look how religious they are. The appeal is there's something about those people, they have something in their souls, there's something about their persona that feels otherworldly. And there's a time in the book of Corinthians where it talks about a non-believer being in a service and they're like, God is here among you because they could tell. And it wasn't because of their theological statements or political words. It was like, no, there's something about God is with us. So go to the last slide here. This, uh, so yeah, this is what I said earlier. To be open to the reality that Jesus lives, lives in you. Oh, go, go to the question mark, back one, back one. Because I, I had to change the word here in a second, all right? The question was, when I wrote it initially, if you could ask for and receive any of these gifts from Jesus this Christmas, I originally wrote, what would you ask for? All right. Then I thought, you know what, I want people to say, no, I will ask for it. There's a difference. Would you, is, yeah, I might get to that. I'm, I'm asking you, what will you ask for? Not what do you think you might, I will, I might, I could. I'm asking you, and I'm asking myself, what, what will I ask Jesus for? All right, now go to the red slide in the very end. All right, so we take communion every week. And we, we do it because uh, we gather here. Again, not in the name of morality, politics, or religion. We gather here in the name of Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And he said, every time you eat this bread, he said this the night before he was arrested, tortured, and killed, and then he rose again. He said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim forgiveness of sins to the world. Every time you do this. So we do this, and even when the point of putting Welsh's grape juice and wafers bought from a Catholic supply store, putting those into your body, it's because you're inviting God in us, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that the Bible tells us He's in us, so it's an affirmation of I believe He's in me. I believe all that all that a wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace does is now in me, and He's able to be those things for me. Alright, so uh, actually, let's just finish, stand up and let's read this with me, then we'll sit back down and take communion. Right? Just, this is Isaiah 9, chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, alright, this is the prophet Isaiah saying what's going to come when a nevertheless world kicks into being because something's changed, alright, here we go, out loud, here we go, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Go ahead and have a seat. But at the end of this passage, I didn't put it up there. I love the last line of this particular part. It says, and the passionate zeal of God will accomplish this. God is committed to this. He's zealous about it. He's passionate about it. So uh, here's how we do at Exodus. John's going to lead us in another song. One, two, one. one. And then uh, we don't dismiss our rows. Just come on up um, and take a wafer. Somebody offer you the cup. How we do it here, we just dip in the cup. There's no deep theological reason there. Dip in the cup. Most people eat it right away. Uh, Some people take it back to their seat. You can do whatever. So um, let me pray. Jesus, you are... uh, I mean, 2,800 years ago, Isaiah referred to you as mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, a father for the ages. And, uh, but you also said, Jesus, that you're, you call us your friends. And that you're, you said you'll be in us, and you are. And you gave yourself to death to be tortured um, because of us. And the Bible says it opened up this new and living way for us to understand how to relate to God in a ways that are loving, deep, connected, and powerful. We, we want that. And we're grateful, Jesus, that you opened the door. It's not our, it's not our goodness or our activity, religious-wise, that, that makes us connected to you. It's what you did. And then we walk through the door that you swung wide open, that you put light in the darkness. So, Jesus, we're grateful. And we take this bread and this cup into our bodies, to remember what you did, what you're doing, and what you can continue to do in us. And that is you can remind us that you're in us and you'll lead us. You'll lead us to lives that are full of life and power and uh, generosity and love so we can be part of changing the world, which is what you came to do, Jesus, the revolution of love. And we ask this on your name, Jesus. Amen.